Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful that everybody has come and joined us in our house church in McKinney, Texas. And I'm so thankful that the Lord has given me this wonderful message this week and spoken to me a lot of awesome things for our scripture reading and for our message this week. I want to welcome everybody into my home in McKinney, Texas, and I want to also welcome everybody coming from all over the world on SoundCloud and maybe YouTube or wherever you're coming from. God bless you as well. I I want to thank you for being here and listening and getting built up in the Lord. And uh, My prayer is that you guys will learn and grow in the Lord as I have learned and grown in the Lord since I've started teaching and doing this too. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, And then we'll get to our scripture verse and our reading and our teaching. If you guys want to join me, please. I'm going to lift up the service unto the Lord and ask Him to bless it and bless our ears. Lord, thank you, Lord God, for all that you do for us, Lord. And thank you for all of your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Lord. Thank you for wisdom, Lord, the wisdom that you give, Lord. It's eternal wisdom, Lord. You give supernatural wisdom. Lord, not earthly wisdom that comes from man, Lord, but wisdom from of, of the ages, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, that you give me this wisdom, Lord. To help me learn your word and to be able to teach your word. And I just thank you, Lord God, for the way I know I've grown and, and the way I've learned and you know, different things about you and different things about your word. And I just pray that the same for those listening to me today, Lord. I pray that they would learn and grow in you as, as I have learned and grown in you. Lord, I pray that you would keep all our distractions away, Lord. Keep our minds clear and focused and help us to understand what you have to say to us today. I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would teach us all. Teach us what we ought to know, Lord. Teach us what you want us to learn out of this passage today that we're going to study. I love you and praise you and we love you and we praise you, dear God, all of us, your children all over the world. I ask that you bless this message and bless my mouth, Lord, and help me to teach well today. Lord, thank you so much, and we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. If you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, we're going to be in verses 20 through 28, and I'll read them after my thoughts from last week. Remember last week's message, the important message of Christ. Uh, That important message again, Jesus said, I'm going, we are going up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be murdered, and then after I'm murdered, I will rise again. And remember why this message was so important? Without it, without this act of love from Christ, all mankind would be doomed to destruction in the torments of hell forever. Had Jesus Christ not come and done the thing that he said he was going to do, die on the sins for mankind, we would all have no hope and we'd all be doomed to destruction in hell forever. But remember, Christ speaks about what, you know, Christ speaks about what happens to him, but Paul writes about what he did in Romans 5.8. He writes, For God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Nobody outdoes God in the category of love. 
The Bible says that we love Him because He first loved us. Nobody outdoes God in the category of love. But remember, I'm big on this because the Bible speaks about it and we can't forget. And this is a, this is a, a, a very common theme of my message last week. His act of love means nothing unless you respond to it by coming to Him and deciding to love Him back. Remember, this is what makes a relationship. A relationship is not just one loving another. A relationship is when one loves and then another one decides to love back. And then we come together and then the two, in a sense, become one in relationship or in marriage or whatever. On our side of relationship, we need to be careful to always remember that God is not interested in a lip service type of love relationship with us, right? He wants our actions of love back towards Him, not just some nice fancy words. You know, I love you, God. Oh, I love you, God. Oh, oh, I love you, God. And then we just don't do the things what He says. Okay? Our He wants our actions of love back toward Him, which means that He wants us to decide to live lives for Him, about Him, live lives that please Him. How do we do this again? How do we we remember? How do we live lives that please God? Well, Scripture tells us, Hebrews 11, 6, number one, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So his, His portion for us, our responsibility towards Him is we need to trust in Christ and God with all our hearts and hang on to them until we die. We need to put all of our trust and our hope all on Him and not in this world and not on ourselves or not in our spouses or not in our jobs or not in our money that we may have. All of our trust needs to go on Him and in Him and on nothing else because we cannot trust. I can't even trust myself let alone anybody else. I've let myself down so many times. But God never lets us down. He's always there for us. So we must trust in Him, number one. And we need to make sure, number two, that our lives are spent with a repentant attitude towards God and away from sinfulness. This is another thing. If we live our lives in all the ways of the world and we just sin all that we want, this is not a lifestyle that pleases God either. Okay, he wants us to live in a repentant with a repentant attitude towards him, which means we're turning towards him away from sinfulness, away from the ways of the world, away from evil. Okay? Knowing Christ loves you and went through all that he did for you doesn't save you or anybody. Knowing that somebody loves you but not taking a step of loving them back means nothing. To you, to them, they're left with a broken heart. But for you, if you love them back, you guys can be joined to one. But responding to his love is what makes a relationship. It, what, it's, what, it's how you show God that you love him. So trusting and repentance is Acts 20.21. 20, repentance toward God and faith in Christ. And if you want to know for sure, for sure, for sure, and you want to know that you're saved, and you want to be saved, and you want to not burn in hell forever, and you want to not make, you know, you want to make sure you live a life that pleases God. If you want to be assured of your eternal destiny with God, remember, repent, 
and trust. Repent and trust. Repent and trust. He loves you so much. God loves mankind so very much. All he wants is for you to love him back. And not just with your words, but with your actions as well too. So much of the world, and that, that's all I'll really say except for I'll, I'll just close my last weeks with this. So much of our country, especially in America, believes that, well, because God loves me, I'm just okay. doesn't matter how, what I, how I live or what I do or the things that I say. It doesn't matter because I know God loves me and that's okay. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, again, that love means nothing if you don't go and you don't respond to it and you don't take it, take God at his word and come to him and repent away from the way you were in evil and then turn to him and live for him. That love means nothing. Okay? So just always remember that. That's very important. And we can't get mixed up in thinking it's all on God because he wants us to respond and live for him like he came and lived for us. All right. On to this week's message. Brand new message this week. It's titled, It Shall Not Be So Among You. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. If you want to read with me, I'm going to read them over, and we're going to learn why or what it means that it's, it shall not be so among you. Jesus says, or we see here an account, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, Jesus said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So, what do we have to say? What do I have to say? All I could say is, I want to know if you saw it like I saw it. Did you see that account, that sad account, in our very first two verses, Matthew 20, 20, and 21? Did you catch it? Did you catch the heartbreaking account or situation that we read about in those first two verses? What is it? What is this sad account that we read of? I'm not going to reread them over like I normally do, because I just read them over. This sad account is the mother of the disciples, James and John, that she comes and she asks Jesus if her boys can have the two most premier spots in all the kingdom 
of heaven. The one on his right hand and the one on his left. Why is this so sad, you may be saying? Here's why. The message Jesus just gave, remember we just talked about it, the, the, the important message of Christ. I'm, I'm, we're going, I'm going to be crucified, or I'm going to be betrayed, they're going to beat me, they're going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to die, and then the third day I'm going to raise again. What a, a, a horrible fate in the flesh. Right? I mean, this is a horrible thing that was going to happen to him. I mean, this is, this is brutal. He just talked about the suffering, the pain, and the sacrifice, okay? And the selflessness that he was going to go through for mankind. Remember, he was going to do that so that we could be saved. But what a horrible, saddening event that they were just about to go through. And he just got done telling them about that. Hey, here's what's going to happen to me. You know, and, and, and what, a, what a horrible thing to think about somebody having to go through. Right? And so he pours out his heart in this heartfelt special message. And what is their response to his pouring out his heart in this special message that he, that he, that he just gives? They have mommy come and ask these two special seats for them in God's kingdom. While they are what? They're unmoved by his sad, terrible, and discouraging message that he just gave. I mean, are you kidding me? He gives this, pours out his heart. This is what I'm going to go through. This is the third time he tells them. We talked about it last week. Then they just come and they're like, oh yeah, hey, by the way, I want to be great in your kingdom. Yeah, I, I want to be great. All I, I mean, all I have to say is these two disciples, James and John, at this point, show us just how cold-hearted and selfish that they really are. Again, we've talked about this before with the attitude of the disciples toward Jesus and his giving, you know, his, his attitude of giving and love toward others. We see his selflessness, okay, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace that he's given us. And what do we see from the disciples? selfishness we see the selfishness in them like we do in all of mankind as a whole and we're going to see it in a little bit at the core of their selfishness is their lust for power and authority and we can look at verses 25 and 26 for that and we'll see that later but the reason they came is because of their lust for a power and authority in god's kingdom so how sad is that? No doubt about it, these guys, these two especially, and they all did, but these two especially had a lot to learn. And they were pretty pathetic in their attitude and their response to Jesus' pouring out his heart. We just talked about how to respond to God's love and to love him back. And how do they respond to God's love here? They don't respond back with, wow, I can't believe you're going to do that for us. Wow, thank you so much. Well, you mean you're going to suffer like that for us? Oh my gosh, thank you. Bow down and worship. I mean, that's what I would have done. I mean, that's what I, you would think you'd do after he just told you that. They reply back with, we want to be great. Hey, 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 uh, Jesus, um, we want to have great power and great wealth. Thank you. Can, can you give that to us, please? Because I, I kind of have a, a tendency to believe that they kind of put their mom up to this. 
which is kind of weak, you know, that these two tough, strong, you know, Galilean men, you know, James and John, fishermen go to, go to Jesus with their mommy, you know. But anyway, well, that's another whole thing. But side note here, with, when we see over and over and over again the patheticness, now that's not even a word, the, 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 just how sorry the 12 disciples are here, and often in Scripture, uh, just a side note, please don't ever think that God can't use you or you or me or anybody in ministry, okay? Jesus chose some pretty sorry, pathetic characters to be his 12. And here's this. This is almost 2,000 years later, and Christianity is a mighty force in our world today, almost 2,000 years later, and it came from one man and 12, and even one was a betrayer, so you could say 11 pathetic you could say worthless disciples, right? And what did God do with them? He transformed the whole face of the planet with 11 selfish, worthless, pathetic disciples. And if he did that with them, he can also do that with you and with me, okay? So if he did it with them, he can do it with you and me. So don't ever think God cannot use you, okay? Praise God. So, Back to Jesus. How does he respond to their request for power and authority? Uh, Read verse 22. But Jesus answers and says, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am able to be baptized with? And of course, what do they say? Blinded by their lust, blinded by their lust for power and authority, what do they say? What's their response? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus, sure. Uh, We're ready. Were they really ready? Were they really ready to go through similar suffering, the similar suffering, suffering, pain, and death that Jesus was about to go to or go through? Uh, Not quite. They weren't. You see, they weren't because even though he just told them about the terrible betrayal and death he was going to go through, they didn't understand what he was saying. They were blinded. You see, they didn't understand because just like Peter earlier, a couple times ago, or one of the last times that we learned, Peter was like, no, Jesus, far be it for this to happen to you. They were blinded because they still thought that Christ was going to rule and reign on the earth now. They still thought, even at this point, even after three times, that this wasn't going to be what he said it was. They still thought he was going to raise up and rule and reign on a, on a kingdom on earth now. And, you know, the Jews were going to take over and become the dominant people in the, in, in the world. And they were going to, you know, put everybody else under their feet. They were still confused about that. And you may be saying, Pastor Ed, you're crazy. What? How can that be? How can they have heard him say that three times? And you say they still don't get it. Well, I can prove it to you. This is not just my opinion. Scripture talks about this. If you want to go to Luke 24, 1 through 12, I'm going to show you how they were confused, even though Jesus told them three times what was going to happen. Luke 24, this is the end. Okay, Christ is gone. He's dead. He's been crucified. He's been buried. And so this is after everything that happened right here. After the suffering. After the pain. After the the, the betrayal that he went through. Luke 24, 1 through 12. Look at this. Look Look what the Bible says. 
Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, uh, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They were ready to prepare his, you know, his body. His body had been buried, and they came with spices, okay, to prepare his body. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So again, like I said, he was dead, crucified, dead, buried. Stone was in front of the tomb. Now they come and they come to the tomb and yet here they find, but they find the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 3. Then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they, uh, excuse me, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that two men stood by them in shining garments. Now, why would they have been greatly perplexed about Jesus' body not being there? Didn't we just read the third time Jesus said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to put me to death. And then on the third day, I'm going to raise from the dead. But yet here, they're greatly perplexed that his body's not there. It's the third day. How did they not know? They didn't know. They were confused. It's amazing to believe it, but they were confused. Then, it says, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels asked him. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was, in, when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Remember that? Don't you remember how he told you that, guys? Come on. What were you thinking? Remember, verse 8, the angels say, okay? Verse 9, then they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven. Remember, Judas was dead, murdered himself by now, and to all the rest. It was, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And look at verse 11, and their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them. What? He, we just read the third time. Jesus said, this is going to happen to me. Here we've got the account. Angels speaking to these ladies. Jesus' body is raised from the dead. The women come back. They said, this amazing experience. It just happened to them and the disciples were here. Verse 11, their words seemed like idle tales and they did not believe them. Wow. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. This should not have been a surprise. Jesus' betrayal, death, burial, and resurrection was not supposed to be a surprise. Yet it was somehow a surprise. You say, how can that be? How could they be that they missed it? He said it, he told them three times, and that's only what's just recorded. He may have told them other times outside of these recordings. Book of John says that Jesus did and said so many things that it was unable to be recorded. There were so many things that Jesus did in his ministry. Well, believe it or not, there is a reason. Believe it or not, when someone tells you something that is just so hard to believe, Somebody tells you something that's so shocking. That's exactly what it does to you. It shocks you. And then it's like you're hearing them, you're seeing their lips move, but you're not quite hearing them 
say the same words as they're wanting you to hear. It actually happened to me years ago in another church I used to go to. There was this big thing that was happening and they had done something and they said they were going to do something and it was like a, a shock to my mind. I was like, I didn't even realize they had made this big massive decision that I didn't agree with until it actually came down to the time when it was when it hit and it happened then I looked around and I was in shock I felt like the disciples here what what, what is this I, I, when did this happen oh my gosh but it happened and I, and then after the fact I remember them yeah they said that how come I didn't hear Yes, when something is so impactful, when something is so shocking, when something is too much for you to handle, it's very true that we could, our brains just like, they just like go black, go blank, and then we're just like, huh? Yeah, oh, oh okay. Hey, are we going to go, you know, are we going to be able to, you know, do this? And uh, Like Jesus was sort of sitting there going, didn't you just hear what I said, knuckleheads? I mean, I just told you I'm about to die, and then you're wanting a seat in my kingdom? Anyway. Now, although they didn't realize they were going to face similar persecution to what Jesus did, he affirms that they will. Look at verse 23. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But you know what? To sit at my right or left hand, not for me to decide. It's for my Father. Okay. Historically, what happened to James and what happened to John? Historically, we see that they did indeed face similar persecution to what Jesus did go through. James, I mean, this was within the first 30 years of the church. James was beheaded by Herod in Acts 12.2, okay? John, poor John, he never did die the same death as Jesus died, but poor John, John was arrested, in prison, threatened, and beaten. He survived the persecutions of Nero, which ended the lives of those who remained of the original 12 disciples. And then there was also a time when the emperor captured John, tried to boil him in oil, but it didn't work, and he didn't die. So what did the emperor do? He sent him away to, a, to, a, to this like Alcatraz-type island called Patmos, okay, where he banished him so that he would stop leading people to Christ, and that he would stop... Uh, and then he, so that he would stop, you know, Nero wouldn't have to see, or the emperor wouldn't have to see him anymore. When, when the emperor died, uh, John was released and returned to Ephesus where he suffered even more persecution. He was, he was forced to drink poison and yet he remained unharmed. He eventually did die though at, at a natural old age, but boy, what a, pu- what a cup of persecution that he had to, to drink, huh? I mean, he went through lots and lots and lots and lots of suffering and torture just like Jesus did. Although he didn't die the same way, I bet he would have loved to. As they were lowering him into the vat of oil, the records record that the ancient church records us, tells us that, that he was singing like praise songs as he was being dipped into the boiling oil. And as he was dipped down into the oil, he kept singing. And then after a few minutes, he was still singing and everybody was like, whoa, what's going on? You know, and there was a rumor about him anyway that he wasn't going to die. But anyway, what a cup of persecution that this poor man had to drink, suffering and being persecuted as he was. That was all adopted, by the way, from the uh, Jesus Jesus Freak Book of Martyrs. Uh, I got that all from that. That's a recording of the ancient things of what the disciples went through. So these two had to drink the same cup that Jesus did. And they were baptized with the same baptism that he was baptized with. 
Now, were the other ten disciples, where were the other ten disciples when James and John and Mommy were standing up there and they were talking to Jesus? You would say, well, Pastor Ed, they were right there, right? I mean, the Bible there in chapter 20 says that they were all, you know, he was talking to them in 20, 17, 18, 19, but yet they weren't. It seems by here, by our recording in verses 24 and 25, that the other ten weren't just right there on top of James, John, and Mom when Mommy came. Read verses 24 in the beginning of 25. The Bible says, and when the ten heard it. Well, what do you mean? I mean, if James, John, and Mom were right there talking to Jesus, how come they didn't hear it right away? But so, Sarah 24, when the ten heard it. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers, and then beginning of verse 25, but when but Jesus called them to himself and said. So you see, the other ten weren't right there when Jesus was giving them this, this terrible message when he or when he was, you know, telling them about their end, okay? Sadly, that you know, the way they were gonna have to drink this uh, persecution, you know, that to have this cup that he was about to drink. Because if they were right on top of the situation, they would have contested this request right away. And Jesus wouldn't have had to call them over. So the only thing that God put on my heart as I was studying for this, where were the other ten disciples when James and John and Mom were there? Maybe out of respect to the Mom coming, you know, they, they just went ahead and stepped a little bit away to the side. Because, like I said, verses, uh, verse 18 of Matthew 20 tells us that they were all together when Jesus told them about the bad news about him going to go and die and be persecuted and be raised again. But according to verse 24, they weren't far away for long as they hear about this request that James and John make to Jesus. And of course, what happens? They hear this request and they get angry. Why did they get angry? Why why do you think they would have gotten angry at James and John's request of asking Jesus for these two most prominent seats. Well, of course, they knew these guys wanted to be premier. These guys wanted to have authority in Jesus' kingdom. And I think, actually, they had a right to to be angry. It makes sense. See, each of them had surrendered to Christ and forsook all that they had and all in their lives to follow Him. Why should any of them been more privileged and had a better right in Jesus' kingdom than any one of them. They were all the same. They were all equal. They all, they all loved him. They all surrendered all. They all forsook all. So it makes sense why they were angry. So Jesus, of course, being the compassionate, loving Savior that he is, he understands their frustration of the ten. He calls them over, remember in the beginning of 25, and the rest of verse 25, and he says... You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. What does he do? He makes a lesson on humanism 101. By the way, in this scripture, in this verse, he uses the word Gentile. Usually the word Gentile means non-Jew. Okay? But here in context, Jesus is referencing a non-saved person or somebody that's not following him. He gives them this humanism 101, this big lesson. And he says, hey, here's the general rule, guys. Among the Gentiles, among the people, general rule, mankind lusts after power and authority over others. And once they have that power, once they have that authority, they lord it over others. They exercise that power with great authority. They, you know, they're the boss, kind of like the big dog. 
Once a guy has that great power, great authority, what does he do? He lords it, he exercises it over others. He gains authority, he gains it somehow, some way, and then after he has it, he exercises it and lords it over others. Again, humanism 101. And of course, this is the sinful way that a man does things. <laughs> and it's funny because Jesus knew what, what was in man, John 2.25 tells us. Now, although mankind's natural sinful inclination is to desire to rule over others and to do it with power and authority, Jesus tells his disciples, verse 26, Yet it shall not be so among you, my disciples. This is the way the world does it. The world exercises all this authority, all this power over others. Yet you, my disciples, my followers, it shall not be so among you. Jesus says to his followers, or real Christians then, and you could say now, because the Bible, Jesus, God, are the same then, today, and tomorrow, okay? You shall not have the same frame of mind and desire to be the Lord over others and rule over them. Jesus tells us, as real application for today, Christians for today, I expect you to be different in respect to authority than those who don't follow me. And you know what? The Bible as a whole speaks this message to us. The Bible as a whole, God tells us in his word that followers of Christ are supposed to be different than those who don't follow Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, God does not save anyone or someone and then just let them act the same old sinful ways as they did before they knew him. Repentant, trusting, humility, humble lifestyle, it, it becomes mandatory for the true followers and true Christians of Christ. So here Jesus commands there <clears throat> to his 12 then and to us now, not to lust for power and authority, and then to lord it over others. That is not what Christians, he says, according to Jesus, not what we're supposed to be like. But that's not all Jesus has to say in verse 26. In the rest of the verse, he addresses the two disciples' desire for power and authority. And boy, I'm sure he throws them for a loop. Read the rest of verse 26. He says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. What? Notice Jesus didn't, mean, didn't make being great among them mandatory. He says, whoever desires. So being great among the disciples, being great as a desire in God's kingdom, doesn't, you don't have to have that desire. You don't have to have that goal. He said, whoever desires... But, but he does require, according to the first part of 26, he does require that we be different on how we have our authority over others, and it shall not be so among you. Always keep that in mind there. You've got to separate those two. So he tells them here, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. He tells them, in my kingdom, if you want to be great, Christian, be a servant to other Christians. Be a servant 
to my followers. Now, why would have this thrown them? For, why would this have thrown them for a loop? This is completely opposite of how mankind's brains think. In the worldly system, if you want to be great, get as much power and authority over all that you can and be a big boss. And then, after you become a big boss, you'll become great then. That's how the world thinks. That's how I used to think before I knew Christ. I want to be great. I want to be great. I need to be a boss. I need to be the man. I need to be the, the, the manager, the, the head of the company, whatever it was. I need to be great. And since I want to be great, I need to be at the top. And Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, be the servant. Be the last. Serve me. Serve my followers and be their servant. Jesus teaches the hard concept for our fleshly minds to comprehend, I would say. But it even gets more mind-boggling. Jesus even makes it more mind-boggling with the next verse. Read verse 27. And he says, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. So these two guys come, and they want this power and authority. And so they ask for these two prominent seats in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus gives them a lesson on, wait a minute, remember, don't you just remember what I just taught you in Matthew 19, 30 and 21 through 20? The first shall be last, guys, and the last shall be first. See how he brings that back around? He just taught on those two subjects. He just taught on that, or I should say on that subject in two other places. Yet, they still didn't quite get it. They still didn't get the first or last, and the last or first. So here, he comes up with a, a perfect situation to teach them. Hey, guys, don't you remember I just told you the first should be last, and the last should be first? And he goes over that again with them here. He says to them in verse 27 that if we want to be first among God's children, be a slave to God's children. Wow. So by what Jesus told James and John, what they should have done, they should have come to Jesus and they should have said, Hey, Jesus, just, just, just get us in the door. We just want to get in the door, Lord. Just If you just get us in the door, we just want to make it. Lord, we just pray, we hope and pray that we, we be counted worthy even, even to just make it into your kingdom. Just, just give us, if you can, the last seats, like the, maybe the two last ones that are in the whole kingdom. That's just, we just want to be in your kingdom. See, that's humility. And the last to be first, and the first to be last. So they should have come to him and, said, and asked him for the last two seats. And they should have said, Jesus, we just want to serve you. Hey, can we be the, 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 the floor sweepers in the kingdom of God? Can we, can we sweep up after all the other saints that are in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus would have said, Well done! You want to be last? I'm going to make you first. But you see, he has to teach them that lesson. And of course, Jesus just doesn't command them to not be like the world as far as having power and authority goes and being great among others goes. He... Verse 28, he doesn't just expect something without. Look what he says in verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus showed the type of lifestyle that he wanted them then and us now to live by his own example that he gave while he was alive. Paul speaks about this same thing. Remember, I taught on this, I think it was last year or earlier this year. Paul speaks about the same thing in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Look at the first last comparison here that Paul gives when he's talking about Christ here in Philippians 2. He says to Christians, to us, to everyone, this is Philippians, this is a book to all Christians, even though it was for the church of Philippi. He says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So although he was in the form of God himself, what did he do? He came in the form of a bondservant. A bondservant is somebody that willfully puts themselves into subjection under someone else. Willfully. Not because they're constrained, but because they willfully, whatever it's because of love or respect, put themselves underneath someone else and let that other rule over them. And who did he do that with? Us. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, He, the creator of the universe, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, so he he came in last, we'll say, okay? He made himself last, even below us, to be our bondservants, even though he was the creator of all the universe. What happens as a result of that? Well, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? Verse 9 of Philippians 2. Therefore, because he did all this, you could say, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he lived among us, he made himself of no reputation, no power, no authority. And because of that, God highly exalted his name above every name. Wow. That's powerful. He gave us this example. This is also a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse 2. And look at what the Bible says about a prophecy. But this is what the Messiah would do. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And the word comeliness is defined as ornament, splendor, or honor. And he had none of those. No form or comeliness. So he gave himself no honor. 
no splendor, and he gave himself of no ornament, which meant that which means that he emptied himself, he became nothing for us. He came in the form of a nothing man for us. And the Bible even says, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is how Christ came in humility, as a bondservant, as a slave to humanity. Jesus literally lived what he taught in Matthew 20, 16. So the last will be first and the first last. Jesus didn't say, as I know this happened so many times, and I've heard so many people saying about their parents, this happened to them. Jesus did not do this. He didn't say, do as I say, not as I do. Because that's what, that's the epitome of hypocrisy. Don't do what I do, because I know what I do is not good. But do, you boy, girl, you better do what I say. That's hypocrisy. Jesus did this. Do as I do, and do as I say. Follow, in fact, every example of every word that I say. So he said it, and he lived it. Praise him. He is worthy of praise. Being God in the flesh to just have laid down. He could have by any right. He had every right to just say whatever we were supposed to do. Laid down every rule and every regulation of every single thing of how we were supposed to live. And not done them himself. He was the creator of all. Yet, what did he do? He gave us a living example of the kind of lifestyle that he wanted us to. To live, you know what he was, really. He was a true leader. This is how a true leader leads. They lead from the front, not from the back. Don't do as I do. Don't don't do as I say, but not as I do. Do as I do and as I say. This is a true leader. So, question for all of us today. Are we being led by Jesus Christ or not. I want to address your foundation first. Your foundation, your spiritual foundation first in my closing. Because if your foundation is wrong, your house will never be built right ever. Most in our world today believe, oh, I'm saved. Oh, I've been saved. Oh, I did that. I did that 20 years ago. I was at this church and I came down the altar. I prayed this prayer. Man, I got saved. Woo! That's all right. Amen. I got saved. All right. But unfortunately, a lot of the folks that feel that they're saved are deceiving themselves in our world today. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17, they have no idea what this even means. Therefore, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Did you see what we just read there? We read a picture of a changed person. This verse speaks about a Christian. Somebody that's in Christ is somebody that's changed. Somebody that's not the same. 
And people in our world today, many people in our world today, say that they're Christians, say that they've been converted, but still live a reprobate and sin-filled lifestyle that they live in every day. And they still call themselves followers of Christ, giving Christ black eyes every day. So have you been changed? Are you letting Christ lead you in your life? To anyone listening to me, please, I want you to understand this point on our scripture today very clearly. The Bible is telling us here, as well as what Jesus said in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. Dear man, dear woman, if you're really saved, then you've been changed by God's grace. You've been changed by the love of God that you have seen and you have become a different person than you used to be. Anyone that's really saved has been converted, the Bible says. And converted means changed. Remember Matthew 18.3, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Little children ultimately trust their parents, ultimately obey their parents. And if they don't, they get spanked and then they stop. Because children just love their parents. Their parents are their whole world. Is God and is Christ your whole world today? He's calling people everywhere to repentance. To turn your life to Him and to Christ and away from sin. So I ask again, have you been changed by Christ? And do you live your life for God and Christ or for yourself? Whose kingdom are you working at building on a daily basis? Yours or God's? you got to make that call. It's your eternity. It's the most important decision you ever have to make in your whole life. Not, I want to pray this prayer. Not, I just want to say this one thing real quick and then I'm good to go. Hey, I'm just in. I'm, I'm good to go, man. I did my salvation thing 20 years ago. No. Are you ready to be changed by God? Or do you just want to pray a prayer and then go off and live however you want to live? Do you love God? Do you want to love God? Because He loves you. Will you or will you make a decision to love Him back by your lifestyle and not just your words? If you realize right now that you don't live for Christ and His kingdom, then I exhort you with all exhortation, please turn to Him now and don't wait another minute. Cry out to Him now and ask Him to change you. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to make you this converted person. Tell Him, I don't want to be the way I still am. I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to be like you. Remember, Jesus said, if you're mine, you'll live like me. If you're mine, look at my example that I gave you. This is the example of how I want you to live your life now. And I exhort you again, please don't wait. Every minute that goes by is is a borrowed minute. Everybody and anybody could die at any moment, 
at any time of their lives right now. Doesn't matter. You could have a heart attack right now and die. Tomorrow is not promised. Surrender now, please. God loves you. He wants you to come and love him back. Now, once your foundation's right, if your foundation's already right, if you're saved, if you know that I'm, I do love God, I do live for Him, and I do repent, and I do turn to Him, and I do trust in Him, and He's my Lord, and He has changed me. Praise God, I'm a different person. I love God, I really love Him. I love Him, and He's my life. Then here for you today, if you are there, it means that you're following Him, you're living for Him, you're glorifying Him and His kingdom. <clears throat> then I want to ask you, do you practice the principle that Christ taught in this passage of Scripture today? Just think about this. Are you better than Jesus Christ, your Maker? Because if you're not servant of all, if you don't have a servant's heart, if you don't have that slave's heart, not only will you not be great, but you're also you're missing out on so many good things. Serving others, being a slave to others is the way Jesus came. It's the way Paul exhorted us to be in Philippians chapter 2. And if you're not there, if you're not the servant to all, maybe you're just a little bit. Well, I want you, God wants you, the Bible says, be more. Be a servant to more. Be a slave to more. And if you're not, are you better than Jesus Christ, your maker? What do I mean? As I said before, I will say it again. He, being the creator of the heavens and the earth, came down to earth with no comeliness or, or without any ornament or splendor or honor. Nothing. He didn't even look as handsome as the most handsome man on the earth now. Yet, he was the creator of everything. And he came to serve us and minister to us, and he made himself a slave to our eternal need of salvation, and allowed himself to be brutally murdered and betrayed for our sins. Are you better than your maker? Because if you're not there, and he was, you are thinking you're better than him. Because if he did that, and we're supposed to be like him, why aren't we more like he was? So if you realize that you are not greater than Christ today, which I hope you do, because I'm not, there ain't nobody on earth that's ever lived that's greater than Christ was or is. And so since you're not greater than he, I exhort you, Christian follower of Christ, live a lifestyle of humility and servitude towards God and his saints. Serve Him in every way of your lives today, Christians. And then when He comes to get you, you'll not only know that you followed Him and His way of life, but you'll know that you'll have a great place in heaven if you serve others and you become a slave to God in everything in your life today. So praise God. God loves you. And He came and he gave a great price for you. Would you give a great price for him today? And either come to him or just decide, you know what, I'm going to serve God with more of my life than I do now. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the example that you gave us. Thank you so much, Lord, 
for how you laid down your life for us. And you gave us this beautiful example of humbleness and humility and, and love and, and grace. And you just didn't say, well, I'll do all these things and I'm above those things. No, you, you said do these things. Do live, you know, live these ways, but then live these ways because, hey, that's the way I live. And Lord, if we are followers of yours, Lord, I pray you convict us all right now if we're not serving you like we should, if we're not being a slave to you and to others as we should be. I pray that you would convict our hearts right now, those of us who are yours, and I pray that we would be, that you would teach us to be, that we would have that teachable heart, that you would make us that way. Because, Lord, if we're not, and we're supposed to be like you, a Christian is a follower of Christ, or or a little Christ, then, Lord, then we're just like the disciples. we got a long way to go. But, Lord, I pray that you teach us how to be more like you and that we would have that humble heart to learn how you said to live and then to live the way that you said to live. And Lord, for those out there that are not there, that have not turned yet, they know that they're not where you want them to be. They know that you're not their Lord. They know that they're not different. They know that they're not changed, Lord. They know that they're not converted because you gave them that revelation today. You showed them that today. Lord God, I pray that they would surrender to you today. I pray that they would cry out to you today, Lord, that they'd get alone and fall on their faces on their floor and cry out to you and say, God, I need you. Please save me. I don't want to be without you anymore. I'm so sorry. I've been lying to myself all this time, all these years. Please save me. I just need you. I want to live for you. Lord, help them. Drive them into that room, Lord. Drive them into that alone place where they would surrender, Lord. Make that decision for you today. You loved them so much and you gave up everything to get them. I pray that they would get every, give up everything to be yours. We love you and we praise you, dear God. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.